Hi, I'm Siggy, born and raised in St. Catharines, Ontario, and now living in the nation's capital of Ottawa. And I'm Jazzy, born in Manila, Philippines, raised in Toronto, Canada, and schooled all over southwestern Ontario. You're listening to the Hala Hala podcast, a delicious mix of pop culture and the Filipino-Canadian life. Before we start our podcast, we'd like to acknowledge the lands we're podcasting on. I'm podcasting from the traditional lands of the Huron-Wendat, the Seneca, and most recently, the Mississaugas of the Credit River. I'm podcasting from the traditional, unceded territory of the Algonquin Anishinaabeg people. It's a merienda episode. I love it. I love a merienda episode. And this year's theme is examining sweet spaghetti. But before we do that, let's catch up. What has been going on pop culture-wise for you, Sigs? Hi, Kuya. We're just ending up March and we just Mm -hmm. passed March break. So three things. I received the book Ready Player Two, which is a sequel to Ready mm-hmm. Player One. That's right. I received it like maybe two years ago. <laughs> and <laughs> We're I all catching up. It. So thank God for my in-laws, my beau-pair, my belle-mare, so sweet, took the kids away on mm. Thursday to Friday. So my wife and I went to Le Nordique. If you haven't nice. gone there, I extremely... You tell extremely me all about it all the time. I yeah, can't wait to go to myself. Go, my, mm-hmm. You need to go, my friends, if you're in Ottawa and you want to go to Chelsea, Quebec. It's wonderful. It's a staycation. So I read the whole book. It was about 365 pages Yeah. in the sitting. And what's so funny about Ready Player 2, it is the sequel to Ready Player 1, mm. where, and I'll try to keep it brief, where gamers need to find clues to win the fortune and be the heir of a a game company right that's left behind ready player 2 uncovers the fact what happens after this winner and his friends find that there are more clues that leads us down this rabbit Ooh, hole more of a treasure technology. Hunt. So there is more of a treasure hunt and it engages mm. and the person that wins and his friends, they tell about the journey. What is funny, and I'm trying not to spoil this because it was a great read. I mm-hmm. really lost myself. I forget when I, especially when I'm at Le Nordique, I have to put my phone away. Yeah. yeah. So I'm left to my book and maybe yeah. people watching, but really yeah. I, I sit down and read. There's several sections where, the lead character has to travel to many different planets to find clues. And some of them were really funny. Right. Two of the planets was a John Hughes planet. Mm. So they had to literally. <laughs> so go to the breakfast club or something uh, like that. <laughs> Kuya, you name it, breakfast club and this whole atmosphere of John Hughes and like the whole oh, universe. Oh, I love it. I love and it. Even better is like they had to change Andy fell in love with in Pretty oh, in Pink. Oh, and it was even a deeper cut. Like Ernest Klein gave a deep cut, like, the original person. And it was like, oh, Ducky? But no, it was like, who was supposed to play Ducky? And I realized this in reading Weekly, it was Robert Diony Jr. So wow. they had to steal him from Weird Science plot. Oh, gosh. Even it Weird Science awesome. in there, eh? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was awesome. But that no, is a let me get to the culture. You would eat it up because you'd be like, oh. And the other chapter, I could not stop laughing with. And I'm like, why are you laughing? They went to the planet formerly known as Prince, and the guy <laughs> had to fight all versions of Prince. To That's get a funny. clue. Like, Kuya, clever, like, clever, all clever. versions. Like, Wendy and Lisa were there. Sheena Easton, Sheila Oh, e, my goodness. Wow. The different versions of Prince. And, like... And God someone, created women. Oh, my and, gosh. Yeah, That's like, great. It, and it was even funny because one of his cohorts was like, this is really lame. And was, like, laughing about it and made a joke. Like, isn't this called literally Corvette? But, like, he would say it wrong. So he got, ban- <laughs> so he got banished from the game. 
Oh dear. He's like, oh no, see, you don't mess with Prince. And like, literally, the lead character had to go to a five and dime and buy a raspberry beret. Oh, like, it was wonderful. <laughs> I have, if funny. you don't have the book, Kuya, I'll hand it over to you because you would love yeah. it. Yeah. It was super fun. On, to please my ears, I listened to this audiobook. Again, mm-hmm. I love pop culture. It yeah. was written by Canadian. Vancouver porn mm-hmm. um, person named Jen Sukfong Lee. Mm-hmm. It's called Superfan, How Pop Culture Broke My Heart. Oh. So Jen takes us through, I think she's my age, so she's a Gen Xer, mm-hmm. and she takes us through about growing up in a family. I want to say she has four sisters herself with a mom, like first generation, her father's ill and passes away, and her relationship mm-hmm. with pop culture and how she grew through the years with it. Not only does she talk about how her parents consume pop culture, the immigration story of her mom dealing with the fact that she lost her husband and mm-hmm, her, her mm-hmm. children were growing up and trying to be okay. That immigration story of trying to connect with your parent when you never see eye to eye. Right. And she's very honest and raw about it and talking about becoming an author and her travise of being married and then finding out being consciously uncoupled. She's talking mm. about Rihanna. And one thing <laughs> I have to say, like, shout out to Jen Sikfung Lee. If you have a chance to pick up this book, she does a whole section on, like, reasons why we hate Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> and she takes it to such a depth where it's very simple. She's like, okay, we're talking that she's privileged and how she can easily say this. And she never and caught no it. And no one like, questions it. You no know, yeah. one questions it. And she That's really right. questions it. So how am I supposed to relate to this? How am I, as someone in my 40s, trying to raise my child with my ex-husband? Like, how do you do that? And why does it look so simple mm-hmm. for Gwyneth? Mm-hmm. And she does this whole analysis about Riri, Rihanna, and a great really thoughts on being a good girl and how it's depicted by Princess Di. Just a really good deep dive. I have a relationship with pop culture too, as you and I both know. Right. We talk about growing up and see how yeah. it applies to our life. Yep. It's such a great vision. And especially with it being a Canadian author who is Asian sharing this story. Even more relatable. Wonderful. I was like, pop break, breaking my heart. What do you mean? And just listening to it. And I've driven to work and I've listened to it in the mornings and I'm just like, oh. It's wonderful. It's just very earnest, um, very vulnerable, and it was mm. it was nice. It was it was really nice to listen to. Wow! Finally, yes. Finally, the last thing, and I thank the people of NPR. Yes, Pop Culture Happy Hour. I've been watching this show called Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. Have you heard about this show? No, I haven't. I haven't. It's a Marvel cartoon. Oh, so I was like, oh, that's odd. Is it Disney Plus? It's not on yeah. Disney Plus. It's on the Disney Channel. Oh. So Moon Girl is Lunella Lafayette. Oh, interesting. This very okay. bright teenager yeah. who is like maybe 13, who's black, living in the Lower East Side. Right. And the first screen, if you follow me on Instagram, I screenshot the first seconds of the show, and it's on Delancey Street, which is actually the moniker of why my daughter's name is Delaney. I misread it. I thought it was called Delaney, but it's Delancey Street Mm -hmm. in New York. And it's the trevise of this little superhero who's a teen, and she's very science-oriented. She's this heroine. like She has this devil dinosaur. They try to stop crime while (laughs) her parents run a roller skating rink, but she deals with very current problems so we just watched an episode my daughter watches it with me and Mm -hmm. about her hair and she's like oh your hair someone had mentioned her hair is messy well she Mm. has black girl's hair and it's hard to learn to work with it and you know you can't get it wet and her mom was like you need to start 
taking care of your hair. You're 13 right. years old. And mm-hmm. so when she wants to chemically straighten it, she hurts her hair and it becomes its own entity called the oh. mane, voiced by J-Hud. Oh, wow. It's wonderful. And it takes cool. these little lessons. She's not only a superhero, she's dealing with growing up, this very science-minded kid who creates all these things, saves her neighborhood. And it's wonderful. My daughter thinks it's super funny. It's in a very comic Spider-Man across the universe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You would very much like that. In that same and vein. In the same yeah. vein where she has yeah. fight scenes. And the double dinosaur has little one take, so look at the camera. Like, my hair doesn't <laughs> look that bad. He looks at the camera with a little bit of a grin. The music is. is awesome. <laughs> there is, like, Lawrence Fishburne, Alfre Woodard, I think Allison Brie, Jennifer Hudson, a lot of, like, cameos by famous people. And it's just a great learning with a heroine like i mean we've had miss marvel but you know moon girls really geared at kids but really funky they own a roller rink the music is hopping hip-hop it's great smart of marvel to do that it is and it's just groundbreaking and it's just fun and the music is very catchy i know for a fact jesse you'll listen to it you're like no i need to put this on my playlist because it's just (laughs) black girl magic it's awesome I, i love that my daughter relates to it she's like oh this is really great this girl's really smart and you know, she's about learning and science and saying, I'm sorry, trying to save the world, but still yeah. trying to be a kid. It's, yeah. it's quite wonderful. Highly when recommend. You, you can be a hero or a hero in training. That's what it sounds like, right? So that's what it is. She's a smart kid. And it's just like wonderful that. where she's just like facing those travails. Like, I think nice. we grew up as smart kids, so we yeah. so totally relate. So it's nice to have Delaney see something like that on TV. That's and really it's Marvel. Fun. And it's Marvel. Oh, that yeah, mouse. I mean, uh, that's all that matters, yeah. right? Yeah. Now, what yeah. have you been up to pop culture-wise? Well, I think you know that I've been really busy with work. And oh, yeah. because of work, it's kind of actually stopped me a little bit from consuming in all this pop culture. But uh-huh. nevertheless, I'm starting to catch up on my queue. I think I told you the last time that I was going through The Last of Us. So I'm halfway through The Last of Us. Oh my goodness. And? I'm just loving that series. It's gotten rave reviews. Now I know why. And if you haven't seen it, there's just some amazing bottle episodes and just some oh, yeah. really good acting between Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey. Mm-hmm. Just wonderful. Really wonderful. And, and is faithful to the video game. And then next up on deck is Star Trek Picard. And then after that, a oh. discovery, which is, yeah, I've really been behind. So I'm actually going to be burning my way through it. But what I'm really excited about is revving up for some Star Wars stories with the Mandalorian season three and Bad Batch again, Pedro Pascal. But oh what I have been <laughs> doing pop culture wise, in addition to trying to catching up was I always wanted to actually take up on Apple Plus TV, the problem with John Stewart. Uh, yeah, and I have to tell you, that damn YouTube and Google, like, they're really smart, right? So, yep. of course, they, like, suggest things, and so they know that my politics would probably align with John Stewart. Of course. Just really clever interviewing. I mean, I've always been impressed by him, but I think in this format, like, unadulterated <laughs> and... <laughs> He actually gets to go after some of these people that he's interviewing. And I think it's quite, quite refreshing. It's refreshing to see. And he gives really honest, authentic editorial commentary on today's problems or the world's problems, whether it's like climate change, gender wars, inflation, whatever Mm -hmm. the case may be, like really honest analysis and I think it's great. And he really champions the middle class. And I think that that's what you and I probably stand for too as well. So that's what I've been kind of up to pop culture wise. Yeah. John Stewart is fantastic. And I remember in the nineties where he had a show on Fox. Yeah. And he was just, you know, starting out having a crush on Elizabeth Shue. Mm. And then 
his class like exceeds himself with his show and him even sit pleading. Remember when he was talking about Ford and he said, yeah, I know I'm making jokes or whatever, but he paused. He's like, just so you know, I do hope you get the help that you need. Yeah. Yeah. Or whatever. Like these are jokes, but I have to say, or when people are, are mad at him, he goes, you're mad at me, but I'm a comedian. I'm not a political pundit, but no. now that he's grown and and I like how you said that now he can be really like, okay, this is what I'm about. This Apple TV lets him go to those places. Like it's masterful. Like that last interview that I think has been on YouTube or whatever yeah. of him saying, yeah. so what are you saying? Yeah. So let's get right down to the problem. And mm-hmm. what was the topic? It was that gentleman. And he was talking about the topic of, it was gun control. Gun right? control, yes, gun that's control. right. He's just yeah. asking the pointed questions. He's like, how are you? And I'm going to ask you again. And he kept on repeating it. The guy was trying yeah. to sidestep. He's like, no, explain to me. And he was just right there. And like you just said it, the middle class, he's asking the questions that we want to ask. Yeah, and he and asks rarely, it yeah. in a way that actually, you know, he's a good interpreter of what the middle class really wants to ask. Because, yes. you know, we're just not trained to ask questions that way. But he mm-hmm. can actually ask the question and then put it in front and scrutinize the other person. But not like a mean way it's kind of like okay let me test your logic out and so when he tests the logic out he does it forward and backwards and it was wonderful to kind of see the latest episode on inflation and he was quizzing essentially a former secretary of the treasury and it was just like oh my goodness he got him to say what he needed him to say nice but he was actually doing a lot of deductive reasoning with him. And he says, okay, let's take your reasoning and then work it backwards. You know, and it was like, see, these policies work against the middle class at the end of the day. And I was just like, oh, that's a masterful. Yeah, it was masterful. I mean, I think that he takes off or takes over where Hassan Minaj had with the Patriot right. on Netflix. So I think he just mm-hmm. takes it even further in terms of his comments, what I call editorial comedy essentially. And so it's been fun to watch and it's been fun to catch up on it. And I, you know, now I've got it on my feed on Apple plus TV. (laughs) So that's what I've been up to pop culture wise. So we are rounding off the crime and punishment month, but ironically enough, not on crime or on punishment, but other (laughs) on sweetness. And maybe it has to do with the sweetness of revenge, you know, in previous episodes, but nevertheless, sweetness and This year's Marienda episodes have really focused on sweets. Mm -hmm. Last season's Marienda's focused on beverages. Mm -hmm. So I remember when we were planning this, we briefly talked about sweet spaghetti on the podcast. But I think in some ways we felt that this deserves its own Marienda episode. So that's kind of where we're at. We are off to talk a little bit about sweet spaghetti. So Six, fill our listeners in on sweet spaghetti and a little bit about the history of it. This is courtesy of Esquire Philippines, because mm-hmm. I was just looking. I'm like, okay, we've talked about it, but they seem to have narrowed it down. So I will leave the reference in our show notes, because right. we want to give credit where credit's due. So of the course. history of the Filipino spaghetti is closely linked with the Philippines' geography, resources, and history. So it was introduced to the country by the Americans in the late 19th century. It was among the dishes requested by Americans who were looking for dishes that reminded them of home. Mm. There's no record or historical record 
recipe of who invented the sweet spaghetti and where it originated in the country, but an anecdote came from the 1940s involving General Douglas MacArthur provides a clue. So during mm-hmm. World War II, the Philippines experienced a shortage in its supply of tomatoes, like the plump red ones, which were usually used for spaghetti. Now, they didn't grow in the Philippines and they had to be imported from the United States. The country ran out of tomato-based ingredients, so including ketchup and the, the most important condiment of Americans at the time and Canadians. <laughs> but because of this shortage of tomato ketchup, Filipino war heroine and food technologist Maria Orosa devised a way to make a similar substitute out of bananas. And now, as mm. we are all familiar as Canadians, Filipino Canadians, Filipinax, uh, the banana ketchup was born. I mean, I'm sure there's tons of bottles that we have on hand in our house. This Filipino spaghetti was sort of like a rebellious version of the Italian pasta, right? Now, mm-hmm. the noodles are somewhat overcooked. It's very red. We talk strikingly red. So even when right. you buy your banana ketchup, yes. it's not just, it's like blood red. Like if a yep. kid took a red crayon. Yep, yep. Because in tomato sauce, it's almost a brownish red because of the hue of that. And plump tomatoes, once cooked or whatever, sort of like turn a different shade. Striking red, sweet and spicy. To make it even more absurd, us Filipinos, and I know Jesse will talk about this, added chopped hot dogs, ground pork, onions, garlics are mixed into a thick sauce made with this banana ketchup. And tomato paste, right? We would have some a little bit of a tomato base, but not the usual, like when you think hunt sauce or prego or ragu. We didn't have that. So generous helping usually of cheddar cheese is sprinkled on top of the spaghetti. And I guess, and I quote the Esquire Philippines, the resulting catastrophe is a celebration of sweet, (laughs) salty, and sour flavors that puncture the palate. True to a dish that is remarkably Filipino. Very, very. Very much. And this is just a little bit of a trivia. And I know Jesse's going to delve into this stuff. And it's so funny because when I go to TNT or growing up, when we would go to an Asian market or we travel to Toronto, right. I would see labels. And I didn't realize that this label this originated this. So the prolonged absence of tomato ingredients in the country paved the way for banana ketchup to become a popular substitute. So in 1942, Magdalo V. Francisco invested in a factory that would mass produce banana ketchup. Right. And obviously mm. that name, the company would become the Iconic Mafran. Of course. Which became the leading brand. <laughs> I of concatenated name. And you right? see it, right? Like, of course, yep. as you speak, listen to two hosts who both have portmanteaus. That's right. Mafran is right there. Now, yep. today, Filipino spaghetti is considered comfort food. And I know we'll talk about how it influenced us and how we grew up. Totally did. Served at kids' birthday parties with hot dogs and sticks and marshmallows on the end, which is its own episode. <laughs> <laughs> We can talk about that later, yeah. We'll talk about that later. And basically, this is a nightmare, in quotation marks, to the Italian cuisine. But it is a tale about creativity and resourcefulness to Filipino gastronomy. And I want to let it go to Jez, because I think, Jez, you have some good thoughts about ingenuity. And I like this Filipino putting their stink on this. This is how we do it. Like, yeah. It is a real oddity in some ways when you think about this as being part of quote-unquote Filipino cuisine. And I think before I used to have a lot of resistance calling it. But I think over time and in light of this Esquire article and us doing a deep dive on it, I really come to appreciate it and think, yeah, it is Filipino cuisine. And call it (laughs) for what it is in terms of its pungent tastiness and Mm -hmm. sweetness, all overwhelming and being extra. It really does represent an intersection of a number of things and kind of like what you've talked about in your recap and relaying of that Esquire Philippines article, it really represents an intersection of what I think is American imperialism, Mm -hmm. Filipino creativity and ingenuity, as you were kind of alluding to, 
And I think most importantly, ideas of Filipino inclusion and accommodation. So let me kind of break that down and kind of it. have that as a parallel companion to what you just talked about historically. <laughs> so in terms of imperial, I think to myself, imperialism is different from colonialism in that mm-hmm. colonialism is really one country asserting control over the other. But imperialism is really about having influence over another country through not only politics, but economics, and in this case, military presence as well. So as you were talking about SIGs from the 40s and how, you know, I've heard that story too, not only just from the Esquire Philippines article, but just in other readings that I've done and talk with other Filipinos on the topic that General Douglas MacArthur had summoned (laughs) and wanted this Neapolitan spaghetti. Well, Mm. I just think to myself, that's just really symbolic of American imperialism. The U.S. influence of wanting this particular spaghetti was really the impetus in the end to creating Filipino spaghetti. And Mm. in terms of inclusion and accommodation, I think to myself, although the impetus of the creation of Filipino spaghetti was a result of what I consider American imperialist forces, aka the U.S. military, (laughs) (laughs) I think Filipino (laughs) hospitality in the name of inclusion and accommodation really drove its invention. So you Mm. can imagine some Filipino chef going, what spaghetti? And someone yeah. <laughs> explaining to that Filipino chef what spaghetti is. And then with all of the, if you will, resources available or the lack of supply, as you talked about in terms of tomatoes and stuff like That's that, right. you can see that it's like, okay, well, I'll take noodles. Oh, they're supposed to stick to the wall. You can see them overcooking it. And then just adding banana ketchup or you know anything <laughs> that was nearby that looked red and yeah. then cutting up hot dogs and putting it in and stirring it and adding some American, you know, cheese or something like that. And it's like, there you go. So it's the closest, if you will, approximation of Italian spaghetti. And so on, I think to myself, it's just probably in as much as it was influenced by this demand by American imperialism, it was also kind of, again, driven by that basic idea of wanting to please and be hospitable to people in our country or people in the Philippines. Although they were occupying it, still, <laughs> still, still yeah. wanting to be inclusive. And as some of our you know, longtime listeners know, my theory on all of this is that the way we have dealt with foreigners is actually inviting them in and actually giving them your best bed and the best cuts of meat in your house, as opposed yeah. to trying to fend them off. I think that idea of inclusion and accommodation in the Filipino spirit has really propelled and drove its creation in the end despite Americans wanting it. And I think that idea of substituting and just kind of making do with what you have Mm -hmm. really speaks to that creativity. It's kind of like, well, if I don't have this ragu tomato sauce, where am I going to go get something, right? That's similar. Oh, I know. Like this banana ketchup seems close enough. And you can kind of see it. And it's like, well, we don't have any ground beef and ground beef is expensive, but we do have hot dogs and all of this substitution kind of comes together and kind of comes back to that idea of ingenuity. Let's make do with what we have available to us and then put it out there. And like what I said, although it's, it seems like an approximation, it ends up becoming its own creation, which is really Filipino spaghetti. But this to me is probably the unique cultural 
capital aspect of all of this, which is it's really a true example of modernism. And I know that in a previous episode in 506, you'll recall that you and I talked about the modern Filipino. And I kind of talked a little bit about what is modernism. Mm -hmm. And again, at a very basic level, one could probably look at Filipino spaghetti and not only just say that it's a poor attempt at Italian cooking, although we would probably say otherwise, but (laughs) that it's actually fusion cooking. Well, Mm -hmm. in some ways I say, I take it and extend it beyond fusion cooking and say that actually it's a form of modernism where there's an innovation, in this case, Filipino spaghetti, because of a number of cultural diffusion situations or events. So let me explain that a little bit further. The innovation (laughs) in cultural diffusion is really what I would think is a modern day example of Chinese noodles. And I think... And I think we typically think that Filipino versions of Chinese noodles is, is things like pancit bihon, pancit yeah, canton, sotanghon, balabuk, yeah. to name a few. And mm-hmm. again, such examples are very, very true. However, in terms of spaghetti, though, Marco Polo and his travels, I think it's thought to be that the Italian version of Chinese noodles is actually spaghetti. So this is where my argument kind of comes in. Uh, I would argue that Filipino spaghetti is really a modernized version of Chinese noodle vis-a-vis that Italian and American influence. So coming back to that definition of modernism, to innovation because of cultural diffusion, sure, it's a version of Chinese noodles through Italian and American influence. So I think that that's why it represents, if you will, the modern day version of Filipino version of Chinese noodles through Italian and American influence. That's so true. Yeah. And then it makes me then ask kind of the question, what does this tell us about our culture? And so in light of kind of the history that you shared and the analysis that I'm thinking about, it makes me think that we make things our own and we Mm -hmm. add our style. And so the question is, is what does this say about our style? So in as much as maybe spaghetti is very much Chinese noodles and spaghetti maybe reflects the richness and the creaminess of the Italian culture, Filipino spaghetti really represents how our style is bold, as you said, in color, in that (laughs) blood, blood, red banana ketchup that's used, and extra, you know, like that overacting extra where it's so (laughs) so yes extra in sweet flavor and that savory umami taste of the hot dogs that's chopped up and that kind of pungent american cheese that's kind of added into it so that's kind of what i think it means i think you know filipino spaghetti is certainly a modern day version of what chinese noodles would be in filipino culture and again Mm -hmm. through american and italian influences but it also represents how as a culture we're filled with sweetness and extra being really extra about things and being bold. And I think when I think of our culture, those two things are true. Now, Sigs, growing up, what was it like for you kind of discovering Filipino spaghetti? Because I can say for me, where I was growing up, I grew up in Kennedy Park, as I've said before, and I was surrounded by many Italians before they um, Uh had an exodus to Woodbridge. So I got to taste a lot of authentic Italian food. So when my mom would make Filipino spaghetti, you know, she would add sugar, but say that the the real ingredients, of course, was banana ketchup. But it was really hard to get banana ketchup in Scarborough in the 80s. 80s, yeah. So truth be told, growing up, I thought the only difference between Filipino 
spaghetti and Italian spaghetti was really sugar, hot dogs? right? Or the oh, yeah, sweet, and and sweet a bit, yeah, little and a, hot dogs. <laughs> yeah, and a bit of the hot dogs from time to time. Mm. And sometimes my family would say, oh yeah, we'd put hot dogs. And I think that that would be odd. And I never really understood that context. It wasn't actually until I got to the Philippines in 1986 and went to Jollibee's for the first ah, time. there you go. Where yeah. I suddenly realized this is Filipino spaghetti, what everyone had been telling me about, you know, prior to going to the Philippines, where it's like, I did indeed taste that sweeter tomato sauce and the hot dogs with American processed cheese that made me realize, again, this is Filipino spaghetti. But for you, what was it like kind of it, like growing up and discovering Filipino spaghetti? It was interesting because my mom, okay, so my aunt and uncle immigrated and they lived with my family, my mom's younger sister and younger brother. And, and my uncle Danny isn't much older than me, so he was a teen. So what's interesting is when we had spaghetti in the house, my mom would make like Italian spaghetti. She would not make Filipino spaghetti. She may say otherwise, but it wasn't. It wasn't until Danny came, my Uncle Dan, Mm -hmm. and he would be like, what are we having? And my parents would be working. So he'd be like, I made spaghetti. And I was like, oh. And sometimes, like, I wasn't a fan of onions. Like, I would eat them, but, like, I didn't like it when there's chunky onions. But when I looked, I'm like, there's hot dogs in these. And it's long (laughs) noodles. And, like, it was a little bit overcooked spaghetti. But, like, I was like, I sort of liked it because, you know, as a kid, this is really neat. And Danny's like, yeah, it is. And I was just like, I think it's very emblematic because I think my mom, who had Italian friends and we had Italian neighbors, were in Canada. And maybe my mom didn't like the sweetness of it. She's like, this is authentic Italian food. But when Danny came in, he's like, oh, there's this. I'm like, oh, it's sort of fun to have it this way. But very rarely did Susie and Willie, my parents, make that. It was. It wasn't until we evolved, and I think we were older. I think I was like a teenager, and we had a neighbor that worked at Alina Linguini. Shout out Alina Linguini's Niagara region. Yeah. And she made the sauce, and my mom would make the sauce. And for some reason, my mom used banana ketchup just to mm. enhance the flavor. Yeah, so it does. Totally and I was like, ooh, this is a little bit tangier. My mom's like, oh, I made it a little bit tangier, a little bit, just a little bit. It was that yeah. little push, and I quite enjoyed it. And I knew, oh, this is her version of saying Filipino. She would never cut a hot dog. Like, she's like, no, I'm not doing that. But like, <laughs> sometimes on my own, if I had to make dinner, I'm like, I'll do that. Or sometimes I'm like, here's a sausage. I'm going to cut it up into it. Yeah, and put and it in. And that was a comparison. It was almost a little bit of a guilty pleasure where I was like, oh, this is sort of fun. I love it. I just remember that as a kid and Danny making it. And I guess now as an adult, I'm like, oh, like Danny was from the Philippines. He ate at Jollibee. Yes. So he's recreating. Because my mom would be like, oh, do you want cheese up? My mom would just use like Parmesan. Right. Right? But not the but American Dan, cheese, uh, right? Asiago. My mom would be like, shredded cheese, okay, for pizza and stuff. But my, my uncle Dan would like put it on it. I'm like, it's different. And I couldn't understand why there was a difference until I grew up and like, oh, there's sweet spaghetti. Right, because trying to yes. get Parmesan cheese in the Philippines, good luck. That would you never know? happen. You, that would be super You could expensive. get yeah. cheddar cheese cheddar for cheese sure, and right? Crumble it up. And it was just so funny. Like, I know my mom made that adjustment. And for fun, like sometimes Emily's like, oh, yeah, I go, this is Filipino. If I would cut up hot dogs. It's Filipino Especially because my kids, especially because my kids, right? They, they love hot dogs and I, I could put it in there randomly. But they know that their grandmother makes a lovely spaghetti sauce that's savory and mm-hmm. very yummy. But sometimes there's some days where you want a little bit of a kick. So I yeah. sometimes I put a little, I like a little t- tablespoon yeah. and I mix it up. And it, it's very funny. Hey, right it's there, that extra and bold that I talked about. Bold, but it's clearly little did I know after many years, I'm like, oh, this is like an immigration story. This is like, it really is. Mirroring, where my mom was like, no, we're in Canada. This is North America. We have, God, see, we have Italian neighbors. You don't want to butcher. I go, but that's what was introduced in the, like the Philippines, and that's the type of it. That's yeah, how it's served because like, it's not. 
it's not Italian spaghetti. It's Filipino spaghetti at the end of the day. And let me just remind everyone that probably Italian spaghetti is Italy's version of Chinese noodles at the end of the day. Exactly, which is not wrong because God, it's not wrong. When we play trivia, people are like, oh, where did spaghetti really originate? Noodles. And the answer is like China. Yeah. How did those noodles travel, right? They learned it. Marco Polo. (laughs) And and let's be honest, we talk about it, but guys, like there's Jollibees popping up all over Canada. Totally. And it's that chicken joy to have with the spaghetti. When I loved it when, do you remember like when Anthony Bourdain went, oh, spaghetti. Oh, that's sweet. And he, he, like, he had his chicken and joy. He, and, and he, he like, had oh, it. Yeah. Like, that's quite tasty. Like, Although I have to say, yeah. I have to say the Times Square Jolly Bee apparently doesn't have that much rice. It has like potatoes that's, part of the okay, menu. That's, that's an abomination. That's an, and that's another, that's, yeah. yeah. That's another. <laughs> As we talk that, about Filipino spaghetti, starches, right? Season six. <laughs> Six. Yeah, six. That's um, right. Jensen and I were in Montreal last June. We went to Juniors. Shout out to Juniors. We love yes. you. And yes. we had our own chicken joy. And I love because oh, you gosh. and I ordered you and I ordered the identical stuff, except you had liquor and I did not. It was a lot. Let it me ask. Let me tell but you. The way that they described it, they like snapshot per se. That was chicken joy beyond. And uh, it was exactly like you said, sweeter. And it was I don't know how to describe it. It's almost not like the 50s, but it almost is like, you can't believe that this is the real thing. This is like, you could take a snapshot. Like, this is Filipino spaghetti. Cheese. That's where it is. It totally and, felt like the 1970s, yeah. to, me, to be quite honest. And it was in a lot of ways. Good. I don't know it why. Was as hell. I yeah. love that you and I both cornered it. We're like, sure, oh my God. We're this. having the sweet spaghetti and chicken joy here at, at Junior's. It was fantastic. And I think to myself, like today's modern day versions, like you see minor mm-hmm. variations. So it's not just hot dogs anymore, it's right. ground beef with hot dogs mm-hmm. or exactly. just ground beef. And when I started making Filipino spaghetti, like Michael, just loved it. But I, I have to yes. say the version that we love the most these days mm-hmm. is w- the one that my brother-in-law makes, who has found the right combination of ground beef, tomato sauce, and that sweetness and that tanginess mm. that you talked about. And I think mm-hmm. to myself, yeah, it's usually made for the kids in mind because it's like it's easy for them to eat. Absolutely. You know, as opposed to a spoon and a fork and a plate and filled with all different types of ulam on yeah. the rice. But I have to say, I think to myself, a Filipino party wouldn't be complete without my brother-in-law's spaghetti. And I'm sure you have a version out there too in your own family. I haven't seen it like at a Filipino party, like within my family proper, but I've seen it in larger venues, like a picnic and stuff. And what kills me, like if you go to TNT, I love that they sell a Tetra pack of the sauce. And it just says, sweet Filipino Filipino spaghetti. spaghetti. That's and I right. laugh. Like, is it OFC? I think was the yeah. brand that I saw. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? I'm like, oh, and it's in a Tetra pack, right? So it travels well. Travels be well. You it, put it in. It out. Yeah. You know, you don't have to worry about your pasta being al dente. The more overcooked it is, the better it is. <laughs> as far it as we're concerned. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so I think if anything, it just kind of, again, kind of appeals to what I think our palates are all about here in mm-hmm. the, our Filipino palates are all about, which is around sweetness. And even in a savory meal or entree, here it is like front and center, really extra. And again, really bold at the same time. So hey, we, we are what we eat. We are what we eat. <laughs> yeah. And I think our friends would agree with that. They would probably say that you and I are bold and extra. The question is, is are you bold and am I extra or are you extra and I'm bold? Oh my gosh, I'm, 
I'm at a loss for words. <laughs> or maybe I we're both. Switches. I think I think it's both, but some days it'll switch. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Oh my gosh. Well, Sig, that has been a fun episode to talk about in terms of our merienda. And again, just to remind our listeners, our merienda episodes come out on the last Friday where there are five Fridays in a month. And so the next merienda, again, we'll be talking about something sweet. So that said, Six, take us out. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, and hey, we want to hear what you think about the Filipino style sweet spaghetti, email us at holohalopopculture at gmail.com. The Holohalo Podcast is available wherever you get podcasts. Rate us, leave a review, tell your friends about us. You can find us on Twitter where our handle is at holohalopop, and we're on Instagram at holohalopopculture. Finally, we receive editorial feedback from Mary Beth Badian. Our musical theme is by Chelch Ringen. We'll see all of you guys again real soon. See you guys soon. <laughs>